You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. But I want to talk to you just a minute as you see these trees and you see the trees out there. I want to kind of answer a question that's on maybe a lot of your minds. You may never thought about this. Some of you did it this weekend. Some of you, like me, did it earlier. Why do we do Christmas trees? Where do they come from? What's the meaning? Where did it all start? And I want to take the time this Sunday as we launch this tree farm concept of just where it all started, and we're going to work our way into God's Word towards the end. But the aspect of Christmas trees and evergreens actually predates a lot of what you guys know as Judeo-Christian tradition. The aspect of evergreens and the aspect of, of trees is actually a pagan idea. Now, before you guys get upset, if you know me, you will never hear me get up here and bash Santa, bash different things. I'm not telling you to go home and take your Christmas trees down. I'm just going to give you a lot of information, and at the end of it, hopefully it's going to make a lot of sense, because I think if you understand the origin, then this aspect of what we're going to be doing this month with the tree farm and the aspect of your Christmas tree will take on a whole different aspect in your own life. Well, if you started talking about Christmas trees, you'll want to know that basically it starts with this concept, and I'm going to kind of give you some background, but every year in the Northern Hemisphere, on December the 21st or December the 22nd, you have what's called the winter solace. Basically, what that means is either on December the 21st or December the 22nd, every single year in the Northern Hemisphere, that is the shortest day of the year. It's when the sun comes up and goes down and we have darkness the longest. And a lot of people believe that the sun was a god. And so because of their beliefs, they would take this concept of the winter solace and they thought that the winter solace was when the sun god was at its weakest. So in order to kind of prep or to get ready for what was to come, they would take anything that was evergreen, hence Christmas trees, ferns, spruces, maybe some different greenery or boughs that they would hang around their doors or around their windows, and they would put it up close to the winter solace to celebrate the fact that it was getting close to the time where the sun god was going to regain his strength and they could get excited about the greenery that was going to come or the new vegetation that was going to come. That was very much the origin of where the aspect of these evergreen trees came from. In fact, if you were to study a little bit in Egypt, they had a a particular sun god that they worshipped. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm giving you information about this. This is kind of like for you guys that are older, Paul Harvey's rest of the story, okay? And so, but this aspect of the evergreens for the Egyptians, they had this sun god named Ra. And what they would do is during this soulless time, they would start hanging up all this greenery as an aspect of worship knowing that the sun god would start to regrain its strength. This Ra was an amazing situation because of what he represented. Even in Rome, in Rome they would do one, that they would do a big festival, and it was built around the aspect of the god of Saturn. And that was the god of agriculture in their society. Even the Vikings, they had the aspect of the greenery and the wreaths that would mean everlasting life, and as they went off to battle, they would hang this stuff. But here's what I want you to catch. It's amazing how pagan the beginning of the story for a Christmas tree is. Like there is nothing godly about the Christmas tree in the beginning. Now, they did not call them Christmas trees, 
They were just known as evergreens. But then our German friends, for those that don't know, when we were founded by the Puritans, I know we just celebrated Thanksgiving, you had this Mayflower that came over, and you had this other boat that didn't quite make it, but it's one of those things that the Puritans that came over, and you had this German descent, they were the ones that introduced this concept of taking the evergreen and to decorate it and to put it to be some sort of a symbol that that represented their Christianity. They were taking this because they were trying to battle some of this pagan worship that was out there and the way people were worshiping trees, in particular the evergreens in this winter solace. In fact, in the beginning, Germans would take these evergreen trees and they would hang apples on them, signifying the paradise of the original Garden of Eve. And it was one of those things, Garden of Eden, and of Adam and Eve. And they would hang these apples all over them, and they would call them a paradise tree. Well, as the Germans moved, and you had Plymouth Rock, and you had all these things that were going on that were coming, and the German immigrants were coming to the United States, you started to kind of get some of their tradition that was boiling over. But if you know anything about the United States in the beginning, you will know very quickly that our foundation was made from these gentlemen that they called the Puritans. Now, to know what a Puritan stands for, it's really in the name itself. They believed in a very pure, undefiled concept of worship. They did not want to have anything that would distract them from the things that God had called them to do. So as you can imagine, in the early years of this founding colony, this this colony, the Plymouth colony, this Plymouth location, it was very much frowned upon to have any sort of decor or anything that would take away from the true meaning of Christmas. Ironically enough, I think through all the years, you still have a little bit of this that that kind of floats around. Has anybody had anybody, and I want to be careful because I know our kids are with us today, but they've challenged you on different things that you may do during the holiday season. And they will challenge you based on one simple concept. We should not do anything that takes away from what the true message of Christmas is all about. My response to that is I don't really have a response, but you know what? It's okay to have fun. It's actually healthy. It's called joy, and it's called laughter, and it's called memories. But I won't want to spend too much time on that because I'll get myself in trouble. But I just want you to know that this battle that was going on has raged for many, many, many years. In fact, a couple of people that really kind of made their way known was one particular pilgrim, you may have heard of him, called William Bradford. He was the second governor. The first governor was John Carver of the pilgrims. And he had this thing that he wrote, this social contract that him, (coughs) excuse me, Mr. Carver wrote called the Mayflower Compact, that they wrote that this social organization, and this is the way that we were going to act. And they started putting in these laws and these different concepts to ban people from doing anything that would put up, that would represent something pagan, or that would represent something that would defile the true meaning of Christmas. One of the things that they were very much against, even the Massachusetts colony put out in 1658 a law that said, you are not allowed to put up greenery or sing Christmas carols or do anything that would take away from the message of the birth of Jesus Christ. That's how pagan the concept of the evergreen was in that particular time. In fact, if you were to go a little bit further back, you will notice in this German roots 
that the German colonies, in particular in the Pennsylvania area, did not listen to what they would say, and they would keep putting up these Christmas trees, despite people looking at it as kind of a forbidden, kind of feudal thing that was taken away from the true message. In fact, one thing that I thought was really cool, you say, well, Mickey, where did the lights come from? Most people would attribute to the, the great theologian Martin Luther, you know, the guy that nailed the 99 Thesis on the door. They said that one day on his way, and this, this is a true story that a lot of people will talk about, that on his way home, he was looking at the stars, he was working on a message for the Christmas season, he saw the stars, and he wanted to recreate that for his family. So when he got home, he turned around and took a bunch of candles, and he wrapped them around the different limbs of the Christmas trees, and hence, for the first time, the Christmas tree became lit with candles and became something that was a part of its German heritage, where you would have this lit Christmas tree with candles. Now, just hold your thought, because if you're like me, if you've ever had a real Christmas tree, and a Christmas tree dries out, and I put candles on it, hmm, buddy, that's going to end up real well, right? But this is what's going on, so you have this battle that's going on. In fact, the German root of the Christmas tree is so strong that if you ever have taken time this season to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, you'll hear them singing a song, Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum, how lovely are your branches. Sam, I'm available for the worship dream team if you need me, okay? But Old Tannenbaum is literally the German root. It's actually the first song that we have a CRCC playlist that's out there on Spotify that you can download for Christmas. And the very first song is Nat King Cole's version of Old Tannenbaum that I want to encourage you to listen to. And it's literally what you know as Old Christmas Tree. Now, that's just a lot of information really quick, right? And you say, Mickey, what, what is the point of all of this? The point is I want you to understand that a lot of times what something has become is missing on the journey that it took to get there. See, a lot of times something that, that's very pagan, when Christ gets involved, becomes something that actually represents something a lot better, Right? You know, talking about those lights, talking about those candles. You know, a, a crazy concept that's there as far as the lights of the Christmas tree. You don't know this. I did a lot of research. I kind of geeked out when I was studying for this over the last couple of weeks. But if it wasn't for the Christmas tree, then Thomas Edison's invention called the light bulb may have never made it. Because we all know, and I wrote the dates down, that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in 1879. But because of the cost and because of the manufacturing, it just wasn't really kicking off yet because of all the candles. But he had one little apprentice. His apprentice's name was Edward Johnson. And Edward Johnson, just a few years later in 1882, in his, his corner apartment, decided to take the light bulb and to add it to a Christmas tree and put it by the window that would spin. And as people walked by, they were astonished by the concept of what was going on with this Christmas tree and the lights that were on the Christmas tree. That next year, he went and got a bigger tree that was about 25 feet, took it outside, and put 250 light bulbs on that Christmas tree. And hence, from that moment forward, what you know as the Christmas tree took off. But that wasn't really the key moment. See, the key moment of a Christmas tree going from pagan to something with purpose was actually in a newspaper. It was in London. It's called the Illustrated London News. In fact, they're going to throw, show a picture of it just a minute. It's of Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert. This picture was ran in 1886. 
1886, this was ran. And if you know anything about Queen Victoria, Prince Albert was of German descent. And what was looked at as a very faux pas negative concept became the fashionable trend because of one particular queen, Victoria. For you guys that are younger, you're going to talk about the Victorian era. There's two things that she's very much known for. One is this picture with Prince Albert and launching into popularity the aspect of a Christmas tree. The other thing that she's known for is a picture of her in her wedding dress, hence why most brides to this day will wear white dresses for their wedding. I know what you're thinking. Yes, I'm a wealth of useless knowledge. But this one particular picture with Prince Albert and Queen Victoria with their children gathered around where she encouraged him to get into some of his German heritage and set up a Christmas tree, launched what would end up being a tradition that I don't know of too many of you in the room do not partake of. In fact, there's a few main states that grow Christmas trees. Out west, it would be Oregon, Washington, and California. Up north, it's the Michigan and Wisconsin area. Here in the south, if you go skiing with Pastor Sam here in a little while, you'll pass a few of them. It's the state of North Carolina. And if you go to those states, you'll see these Christmas tree farms everywhere. In fact, they estimate that this year, are you ready for this? This year, 34 to 36 million Christmas trees will be sold in the United States of America. 34 to 36 million. Now, for some of you out there, some of you online, you're, oh my goodness, where are we going to do? We're ruining the environment. We're cutting down all these trees. Take a deep breath, because in that same year, we will plant a roughly 77 million Christmas trees each year. So we're winning. But the concept that's there and the purpose of all of this, and what I want you to understand is there is an amazing journey of redemption that's told in something as simple as a Christmas tree. Something that started out very pagan now has purpose and brings much joy to many different people. Something that started out as like the winter solace, the darkest day of the year, and worshiping all these pagan sun gods or these different concepts or this evergreen or this everlasting now represents something that all of us know as a Christmas tree. And we know that the word Christmas is the aspect of Christ and then the word moss, which is with Christ. And we're going to gather around those Christmas trees, and, and we're going to do different things. In my house, I made up a little rule. This was really for dad's insanity than it was anything. But in my house, my children would tell you, we are not allowed to sing any Christmas carols until the Christmas tree goes up. And once the Christmas tree goes down, guess what? No more Christmas carols, because if you do, you'll lose a present. Some of you parents, that one's free of charge. My wife loves the idea until it's the day to put the Christmas tree up, which means it's like Clark Griswold at our house. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs along with two other little girls, Oh, Christmas tree! And every other song we can think of that has the word Christmas or reindeer or Santa in it. But it's just part of the, the, the atmosphere, right? It's a part of the concept of what we think about with Christmas. It's representing something more. But what does it represent the most? I don't know how your family is, but there's one main purpose of our Christmas tree. It's where the gifts are going to gather. It's the place where all the sacrifice, 
where all the love and all the anticipation waits for days on end. It's the place that I can tattle on my oldest son that if you go snooping, the tree may fall over on you. I still don't know how an eight-year-old boy lifted up a Christmas tree all by himself and set it back up. But it's an amazing, amazing, amazing gathering point. And here's the point of this whole message. Simple message. What once was meant to be pagan with Christ can have substantial meaning and be a gathering point. What once was looked at because of all the wrong messages with the right message becomes something very much redeemed and very much something stronger and a major part. See, the Christmas tree story is your story. And it's my story. It's the story of, of, of being pagan and lost. But because of the birth of Christ, having purpose and accepting that as a part of our life and having something that means something more. It's the something that started out to be something wrong and, and led people the wrong way. There's something now that's a gathering point to celebrate and share love and to talk about some amazing concepts. In fact, here's the way I look at it in Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. One simple verse, and it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love the fact that learning about the Christmas tree and studying it, and let me tell you something, guys, there was so much more. If you were to look at my notes, I have flown through a lot of this as far as the origin of the Christmas tree. But I love the fact that now that I know, I can look at something that looks so beautiful, and I can go, you know what? The old's buried, and now something new exists. With Christ and his death on the cross, I can be buried with Jesus in baptism, and I can raise to walk in a new life. See, the story of a tree, the story of a Christmas tree, the story of, of the tree farms, in fact, they will tell you 98%. I want you to think about that for a minute. 98% of all living Christmas trees sold and given to families this year will have come from a Christmas tree tree farm. You know what that means? It's not by chance. There's somebody that's taking the time to plant. Somebody's taking the time to grow. Somebody's taking the time to prepare. Somebody's taking the time to, to get out there and, and to work this tree farm. And, and there's going to be people this, this weekend, they were all across. I can only imagine what North Carolina was like this past weekend. I'm sure there were these big barrels with fires in them. Maybe not because it was like 70 degrees. Maybe it wasn't hot chocolate. Maybe it was orange juice. I don't know. But people were showing up and, and they were having their family and they're walking through and they're trying to find what? That perfect tree. Ironically enough, a little bit more history about the Christmas tree. You know, Germans, most of their Christmas trees would be about four foot tall. But it was Americans. They said, no, we want them to go from the floor 
to the ceiling. So we've always done things big. And it was Americans that went from taking fruits and nuts to all of a sudden we would start dyeing popcorn and we started making homemade ornaments. And we would put these things on our trees. And, and all of a sudden these things would start having meaning. See, the concept of just having a tree that lit up, that was a gathering point, was never enough. We've always been consumed with stuff having meaning. Can I tell you about this scripture a little bit more? For some of you, that doesn't stop with your life. Like the story of a Christmas tree is great, but your life is a lot more important than a tree, isn't it? And what you don't want is a life that doesn't have meaning. You say, well, Mickey, what do I do about that? Well, it's one other scripture. You know, this aspect of old to new, it also shows up in Acts. One simple commandment to set up the stage a little bit before we show it. This is Peter. Peter's kind of giving a response. You've had this, this, paralyzed, this paralyzed man that's been healed right outside the temple. And everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. And here's what Peter's response. In order to explain what was going on, listen to these words. It's chapter 3, verse 16. And it says this. I'm sorry, 19. Repent. Therefore, and turn back, and your sins may be blotted out. You know, today's message is a very simple, simple message. It's literally a simple message of redemption. Like, I want you from now on, when you look at a Christmas tree, to not go, oh, wow, isn't that beautiful? Look at the lights. Oh, I really like how you use that ribbon. Oh, that buffalo plaid, that's really nice. That buffalo check or whatever you call it. Oh, I love what you did to the top of that. Oh, the way you got those branches. Oh, those little berries. Are... Listen, when you look at a Christmas tree from now on, you know what I want you to think about? Something that once had a pagan meaning now represents something of life and of gifts. And your life can have the same redemption value. That's what we're fixing to partake of when we talk about baptism. I want you to know that here in just a minute, we're going to dim the lights. And we've got several people that have already said, you know what, today is the day that I've been waiting on. Not only are we launching Christmas at Crossroads, but today is the day that I'm going to enter the water of baptism. And I'm going to let everybody know of what's already taking place on the inside. I'm going to let everybody know that just like the old Christmas tree, there is a redemption story in my life. I once was pagan, but now I have purpose. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once needed a relationship with Christ and was going to have eternal damnation, but now through the relationship with Jesus Christ, I have life and have life more abundantly. And the greatest part about all of this as it's available to every single person. If, as this scripture says, you're willing to repent, to turn away from your sins, and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We've got so much more that we're going to talk about over the next four services concerning all the aspects of a Christmas tree. But nothing is more important than the redemption story of it. And I don't believe there's anything bigger in your life either. This holiday season for some of you guys is going to be an emotional, emotional journey. 
Like I know everywhere that we're going over the next few weeks. And what I want you to hear is listen to me. I want you to know that no matter where you're at, no matter where you feel like you are or are not at, no matter what you've done or feel disqualified, that God is always in the business of burying the old to bring back the new. Always, if we'll commit to it. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.